special spooky episode of matinee i'm julia and i'm Maria. today we have an esteemed guest we do we have mark dylan former editor of playback uh film journalist published author neighbor childhood neighbor of mine uh thank <laughs> that, you for that's being how we get here. them <laughs> we just in our vicinity yeah whoever's closest you know no hey whatever's handy no uh, <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me on very excited thank you so much for being here we are very excited as we were discussing earlier, you write for American Cinematographer, which is very cool. Maria has a subscription. I do have a subscription. And I read it. That's, That's it. That's it. So, <laughs> no, I was going to try to pretend like I, you know what? I should read more of it. It doesn't matter if you read it as long as you subscribe to it. That's yeah. all that counts. As long as he's getting those paychecks. I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, the latest article that you wrote from what I saw was about It Chapter 2. I've got a big one on uh, the new James Bond movie coming. Oh, cool. Exciting. Yeah. That's very April. Cool. Look for it. Okay. I will read it. Excellent. I, I think your subscription's up soon. Oh, okay. Better but hey, resubscribe. <laughs> There's motivation right there. All right. So today we are going to talk about Rear Window. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. The episode's spooky because the lights are off. Right. And Due to the noise. Loud, yeah. And also because the film's kind of spooky. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Suspenseful. Spooky. I don't know if spooky is the word I would use. Yeah, you're right. I was trying really hard to tie those in. It didn't really work. I appreciate okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> Segway. Yeah. So, Mark, what is your relationship to this movie? I think I first saw Rear Window when I was a teenager back in the 80s. Um, I'd already been a classic movie fan. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about this movie is it was not available for many years. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock had this rare uh, deal for his movies that the rights would return to him after eight years. So this movie came out in 1954. He got the rights back, and then for whatever reason, uh, it was out of circulation. I don't know for how long. Like, for sure throughout the 70s, this mm-hmm. movie was just not available. Um, hmm. And then he died in 1980, and so Universal Studios, I believe it was, had to deal with his heirs over the rights to this movie. That took three years, but finally they made a deal for five of these movies to be re-released. So we're talking Dial M for Murder, mm-hmm. Rear Window, uh, The Trouble with Harry, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and uh, another one which, I, <laughs> which escapes me at the moment. But um, So I believe these films did the festival circuit in 1983 and then had a theatrical re-release and then were available on video because this was, of course you know, the era of VHS tapes mm-hmm. and blockbuster video and all, and all that kind of stuff. Good times. So that's when I would have seen it. I mean, obviously, Ruindo was a movie that had a big reputation, uh, you know, since it came out in the 50s, but people had to sort of go on their memories as opposed to, you know, having seen it recently. So, yeah, uh, I remember a friend of mine in particular was, like, really big in Hitchcock. Vertigo was the other movie, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah. And... Um, so he was like binging on these Hitchcock movies and he kept telling me how cool they were. And, you know, I was a fan of, of old movies anyway. So, you know, I, I checked them out. And this was the one in particular that I loved. I mean, it's such a unique uh, movie that uh, it quickly became certainly one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, it's, it's very strange to think about a time when you couldn't rewatch movies. I mean, we grew up even in that era, like between having a film come out in theaters and then having the VHS. 
that feels like it was so long ago now. Now everything's at your fingertips. If you go to see a movie in theaters, you barely have to wait to see it again. I can only imagine that would increase your excitement. That's what I was going to say. I wonder if like this is some, I mean, on the one hand, it, it would be upsetting to fans not to be able to access the film immediately after its release. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like it could be like a smart, maybe interesting marketing thing to do to just like keep it a bit give it like more time yeah i don't know if that would yeah. work still though i feel like people would easily forget now because there's so much saturation of stuff it's hard to say yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what hitchcock was thinking to keep these films out of circulation yeah, for so long. i don't know what his ultimate plan was for them but uh that's interesting yeah so, so he had all the like no one could show it and he, he was the only one who had all the footage apparently there were sort of uh, pirate screenings like mm. but they could not advertise the film's name so they would sort of drop hints about what the movie was and people would go to some like small little cinema and oh God, watch that it sounds but so cool <laughs> yeah because it was just uh, it was just not appearing on tv and and, and tv broadcasts of movies were a big deal like i mean yeah. you a lot of people remember oh i saw that movie on tv in 1976 you know because it, it was rare like it was exciting it was for, for a big movie yeah, to, to show yeah. up on tv so but you're right now it's uh, it's easy to access all these things and i think rear window ages really well because you know you watch it on your hd tv the aspect ratio of the film is approximately like a 16 by 9 tv mm-hmm. so it fills your mm-hmm. screen it's in technicolor yeah it looks great it really does do you have a relationship to this film at all maria no 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 not at all i actually don't really have a relationship to any hitchcock film you keep saying hitchhawk which is exhibit <laughs> a there's too many vowels <laughs> consonants in the middle that's fair it is kind of a weird name i suppose hitchcock. <laughs> lovely that's his name <laughs> yeah um no i'm uh i'm a pleb yeah i don't know <laughs> well he's one of that's those fine. directors i mean i would put him up there with john ford uh howard hawks like these directors that had long careers where they just did so much in so many different eras yeah. of film history. I mean, Hitchcock began in the silent era. I mean, he did this great movie called The Lodger, 1927, which was about Jack the Ripper. I mean, that I saw that recently. That That's a very cool movie. I mean, he started that's his career in Berlin even earlier than that. Uh, he was a big deal in England throughout the 1930s, and then he came to Hollywood in the 1940s. And But I'd say his peak era really came around the time of Rear Window, when you think about it, like within a span of just a few years, to have... To have done just Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho in a six-year span. Yeah, that's And insane. some other good movies in there. Remarkable. Like, he was already in his 50s, but... Those were, like, some of the best films of all time, I, all within... I believe the together. Rear Window specifically was shot, like, immediately after M for Murder, I yes, think. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Like, just, like, not even, like, a full yeah. month later. It's crazy, and he, he was a person who, like, planned everything out so meticulously. I, he must have never slept. Or like, well, uh, the, the unsung hero of his career is his wife Alma, because mm. she was she was prepping everything, she was organizing everything behind the scenes while he was shooting. So, like, she was looking after scripts and things like that. Wow. So, it was a partnership, really, in, in she, every she sense was of the word. Classic his, unsung hero. <laughs> she was his AD ish. Um, Sounds like more like his assistant. I think she was producer. Yeah, you could say assistant, but I mean more like a partner, like really. Yeah. Uh, 
looking at scripts, just just helping get the productions ready for the next one. It's interesting you mentioned Dial M for Murder, which is another good film. Um, but apparently while he was filming that, all he could talk about was Rear Window. He was yeah. just telling everybody, oh, my next one's going to be really good. Like all, you know. That must take, be kind of depressing if you're working yeah. on it. Well, but Grace Kelly was carried over. True, true. You know, okay. from, from that movie. Um, but, but like you said, I mean, when he showed up on the set, it was already mapped out. Yeah. So it's like he just had to be there just to make sure it all went off without a hitch, so to speak. Yeah. But um, I, I always tried to take a very... Hitchcockian approach in film school and it is hard <laughs> it is very it's hard, hard but then it makes everything easier later it does but if something goes wrong and you've become attached to what you're doing and how you planned it out it can like really mess you up when you get derailed that's when you like which murder your first happens. ad exactly which is what i did I- i've heard stories of him you know when the camera would roll he would just turn around like he wouldn't necessarily look like yeah. he, he he was just everybody knew what they were supposed to do and they did it wow but he also he's not an actor's director he's a more of like a technician mm. i think i don't think i don't know really that much of, i don't I've never really heard stories about how he interacts with his actors in mm. a more like you know there's directors who like take time with their actors and right. like, are good at directing actors. Yeah. Like, first one that comes to mind is uh, Yoros Lanthimos. Yeah. Who, like, oh, yeah. Every single actor who's worked with him is like, wow, that guy directs They have a relationship yeah. with him. Yeah. Because like, I don't know if Hitchcock, Hitchcock, <laughs> sorry, if he did the same thing with his actors. As opposed to like his DPs and camera people are like, yeah. wow, like his lighting people are like, you know, he just... He's the king. He had the map. You know? Yeah. That's a good... Do you know anything uh, that, about that's that? A, that's a fair comment. I mean, there's a lot of stories about, you know, the famous quote of his was, he said, I never said actors were cattle. Oh, yeah. I, I said they should be treated like cattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that one. He wasn't happy that the studio dictated Kim Novak be in Vertigo. He wanted... Um, what was her name? She was in Psycho. Not the main one, but... Uh, the sister, Vera Miles. He wanted Vera Miles in that role. And so oh. he wasn't happy with Kim Novak, but, uh, and, and she would try hard and she yeah. would talk to him and say, oh. uh, what's my motivation for the scene? And he said, your paycheck. But I mean, <gasps> wow. Oh my God. <laughs> that being the case, I mean, you know, there were actors that he worked with many times, like his two favorite were Cary yeah. Grant and, and James Stewart. And, you know, I was thinking about it. I could see Cary Grant in Rear Window as well. That, that could have worked as well. Totally. Uh, but those were the two that he liked. I mean, obviously, Grace Kelly appeared in many of his movies. Um, I think it's it's makes sense that maybe more men returned than women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some women did as well. But, I mean, there were obviously, you know, more stories are coming out, especially regarding his relationship with Tippi Hedren. I mean, he definitely behaved in a way that would not be accepted today. There's definitely some stuff in this film that I'm excited to talk about. I didn't even know any of this, but I got the like sense that that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he, he's he's an interesting fellow, uh, very introverted, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of darkness in his yeah. movies. You yeah. know, and that spans from 1927 to 1976. Uh, so you got to wonder what's going on inside. But uh, true, he made great art out of it. This is true. Let's get into. Let's it. get into it okay so this is actually based on a short story right by cornell woolrich quite a name so we open on a city street uh with all these apartment complexes that have all these windows that face each other 
The set is incredible. Um, we see a bunch of the neighbors. There's like a weird couple that sleep on their balcony, a blonde dancer lady. There's kids playing. Miss Torso is what he calls the dancer. This, there's like a salesman and his wife who's bedridden, a musician, Miss Lonely Hearts, who's a sad single lady. Um, he's just like named all of them, giving them all nicknames and like is watching them. Jimmy Stewart in the lead role. Um, he is in his apartment with a broken leg. We see his cameras and like his photographs. It's clear that he's a photographer who's stuck at home due to his injury. Um, his name's Jeffries. What's his first name? It's like D. LB. L- LB Jeffries. Wait, wait. Those are initials, right? This isn't That's a real right. name. Yeah. But everyone calls him Jeff because his last name is Jeffries, which I enjoyed. LB Jeff Jeffries. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he is talking to his boss on the phone. He's saying he's been sitting for six weeks. He's super bored. He's watching all the people. He has a, like a nurse who takes care of him who's from his insurance company. That's right. Is, is that, that a, a thing? Real thing? <laughs> Played by Thelma Ritter. Like what? <laughs> Did insurance companies give people nurses? It's a long time ago. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I just found that very strange. But yeah, no, I me mean too. It was weird. Yeah. She comes in and she like jokes with him about him being a peeping Tom. I liked the line that she said. She was like, what people ought to do is go outside of their own home and look in. But Damn, Thelma's like just bringing the truth. This her- whole film. She's like, listen, don't have time for this bullshit. If she had a modern equivalent, I would say Frances McDormand. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good and, call. And Thelma Ritter was a big deal. I mean, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in each of the previous four years before Rear Window. Really? And she wasn't nominated for Rear Window, which is odd, but maybe they felt they'd given it to her enough. Yeah, Did she win ever? She never won. In fact, she's, Aww. I think, second in Oscar history in terms of female performers who are nominated in acting category that haven't won. So the leader <laughs> is, um, uh, what's her name from The Wife? Um... Glenn Close. Oh, yeah. Nominated yeah, yeah. seven times. And then she's wow. tied with Amy Adams and somebody else six times. Oh, nominated Amy Adams. Without a win. Where is her award, guys? Um, she's got lots of time left. I hope so. Um, so, yeah, so she is his nurse, um, Stella. That's her name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, yeah, she basically, she's telling Jeff that he's going to get himself into trouble looking out the window and seeing things that he shouldn't see. Um, <coughs> lots of foreshadowing in that. There's like two minutes of her talking and it was like, this is what's going to happen in the film. <laughs> yeah, true. She lays it out. Jeff starts complaining about his girlfriend, Lisa, who is a model. The nurse is like, you're an idiot. She's perfect. Isn't her name Lisa? I don't think she's a model so much as she she works. Or a fashion designer? Uh, she works something? in the fashion industry. Wait, weren't there pictures? Sales. Weren't there pictures of her? Hadn't he taken pictures of her? I got the oh, sense she that she was wasn't a model. in the beginning. So you know how that's like that, that yeah. like long panning shot where we basically see everything. There's a at the end. It ends on her on the cover of like some magazine, like Vogue, I think, Bazaar, something yeah. like that. And I think. She's like a fashion designer slash socialite slash okay. important person, not necessarily a model. She's like the brain behind. Okay, she's things. like a so yeah, yeah. There's a socialite vibe happening, but anyway, he's not happy with their relationship. He wishes she was ordinary, which is very troubling. Deep sigh. <laughs> ten minutes into the film, I was like, oh. One of the best lines was when Stella, when he asks Stella to fix him a sandwich, and she says, "I'll spread common sense on the bread." Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was delightful. This movie is at laugh out loud funny, in my opinion. It was Thelma Ritter. She just brings it. I she was 
my favorite character. Yeah, she's very funny. But even even just like in the dialogue between Lisa and and Jeff, like there's some good sarcasm. There's okay. some good back and forth. I don't know. I found it very enjoyable. Um, well, that's the thing. Despite all the dark things that are going on, there's a there's a light touch. Yeah. To, to the whole thing, really. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so watchable. Um, Lisa comes over. She brings food. She brings wine. She's in a beautiful dress. She's super supportive of Jeff, and she wants him to expand his career, kind of. And, like, I, I guess he's stuck working for this magazine where he, like, travels a bunch, and she Well, he of, doesn't look at it as being stuck, though. I think no. he, he talks like he thrives on that adventure, and he doesn't want the kind of sit-down, you know, nine-to-five life that, that she wishes that Right. He She's kind of rooting for him to stick around a little bit. She so doesn't have that either, down. though. She doesn't have the, like, nine-to-five life either. She seems no, that's like true. she's going out to dinners and, you know, schmoozing with whoever. Yeah, she talks about her day, and she's like, well, then I had a cocktail with this person, and then I had a dinner mm-hmm. with this person, and then I had to go to this magazine She party doesn't have a nine-to-five. She's, no. she's out there. They each love what they do. It's true, and they're at odds because of it he he's saying that like she couldn't live his lifestyle but she's saying that she could he says that she's not meant for that kind of life and the one line that was really sad is she's like oh you don't think one of us could ever change and he says no and she's like i just want to be part of your life I th- he, he pushes things though like you wonder what he really wants like deep down like he's so mean to her a lot of the time and yeah. when he says these little sniping remarks that, that that he makes but you know but then when when he realizes this could push her away he's like well can't we keep things status quo yeah that line was i thought he is as the kids would say a fuck boy <laughs> he's very i was furious he's, he yeah he pushes that. her away and then she leaves and he's like oh no like can't we just keep things how they are like Oh, no, you're going to go, but I actually like you. <laughs> yeah. He's in denial about his feelings, I yes, think. Yes, okay. don't But he's also, yeah. like, a 50-year-old man. He's, like, 45 and she's, like, 25, right? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. There's, yeah. like, a 20 there's a, Yeah, there's at least. And it, but he's, like, that's the thing. It's, like, she comes in, and the first time we see her, she's, like, a vision. Yeah. She that comes, is the best entrance ever, It's I incredible. Think. Oh, my God, she yeah. is radiating her dress glow. is so beautiful it's, it's in slow motion too like he's he's sleeping yeah. oh yeah and he, his eyes open and then she's like towering above him moving in for kiss in slow motion yeah you know and, and then they talk as if they don't know each other like as if she's some kind of intruder and the first time i saw it and i was just a kid i'm like what's happening who is she what's happening yeah. here? it was a little strange <laughs> yeah if there hadn't been that conversation about her beforehand it would definitely have been startling i think maybe he meant to make it creepy because or like not creepy but like i think it was like a playful like oh who are you ha, ha, ha. yeah like and then it's also a very blatant way to uh introduce her she says her full name like oh yeah, she you know. does. <laughs> oh, yeah. as she turns on various lights yeah anyway they have this fight she storms out he falls asleep he wakes up again at 2 a.m and he sees the salesman as he calls him his neighbor across the way he has a suitcase he's leaving the apartment in the rain he comes back later in the night um wait don't we hear his scream first in the middle of the night there is a scream or some sort of like no don't do that yeah something like that there is some sort of as he's falling asleep that's what we hear yeah yeah, good point good point that's actually pretty crucial don't stop i think is what what is Wow, didn't know that. And you hear a crash. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Jeffries falls asleep. Yes. But then he wakes up and right, he sees right. this like mysterious thing happening. Um, so he tells Stella that he thinks the salesman was taking something out of his apartment. He doesn't know what. He takes out his camera with like super long lens so he can spy on people. <laughs> um, he tells Lisa about what he saw. 
he's wondering how the salesman would have like cut up the body of his wife and she's like you're scaring me you gotta chill i'm leaving if you don't stop what are you looking for like what is it that you want out of this maybe she died there's nothing to see do you really think he would leave the shades up if he was going to kill someone I think Hitchcock talked about this kind of thing before where he called it like hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. He he thought like a crime that happens in the middle of the day, like out in the open is much more interesting than one that happens like, you know, in the shadows at night necessarily. Well, it's also not to bring it to real murders and like these actual things. A lot of the times male murderers who murder their partners mm-hmm. or like are violent towards women feel this kind of like superiority towards all other people and there's that kind of like sociopath element where they're like I'm better so a lot of the times they leave behind information right. that's blatant and you'd be and it's so blatant that sometimes you're like this isn't this can't be the solution because it's so obvious but they're just in their minds they're like I'm so much better so yeah. they're never gonna put it together I mean this anyway. was also pre-DNA like it was a lot harder to catch people that's true <laughs> Hitchcock then. has an interesting uh, tradition of, of getting you getting you in the head of, of a murderer and making you in a sense sympathetic because when you follow them and the problems that they have in terms yeah. of covering up their murder you you know <laughs> you're sort of rooting for them in some strange side of your brain I mean we see that in uh, Strangers on a Train where the, where the murderer drops uh, a lighter through a sewer grate and he's trying to get it you know this is like a big scene or in Psycho as well when mm-hmm. he's trying to like get rid of the car and it won't go down and all this kind of stuff uh, yeah that's true it's interesting that he, he puts you in their head you know as a opposed to say like a cop who's doing the investigation so lisa is skeptical but eventually she believes him she sees the salesman wrapping up a suitcase with rope um so jeffrey sends lisa over to the apartment to find out the name of the couple and he calls his detective friend from the army uh who comes over and is skeptical um but he says he'll poke around basically um there is the weird couple's little dog I was obsessed with this dog because they have the dog in a basket with yeah. like a pulley. That's, that's, I don't know. I didn't understand why. I think it was more like for fun. I love it. For Hitchcock's side. Like, <laughs> I think he wanted to make that as like a funny thing. That's what, that's what I thought. I, I, I just was Do thinking, you know anything about this? Is this a real thing? Do people do this in the 50s? Well, I guess apartment living, maybe, if you want to get <laughs> that dog down in a hurry. To, yeah, that's uh, true. You don't have to, to go the all courtyard. the way down the stairs and yeah. all the way back up the stairs. So that, that's the couple that lives one floor above the salesman. Do they live above them? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they do. Well, definitely on a higher level. I don't yeah. know if it's the same building. I feel but... like they're like up and to the left, and he's like down and to the right. Uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. I have to look at that. I think you might be right. It doesn't. Okay. No, it kind of matters because they share that garden. That's true. They share a garden. Right. Yeah. They all the neighbors kind of share this like courtyard garden thing. It's like a New York style of apartment building Mm -hmm. where there's no like I don't know space between the. It's also kind of Montrealish. Yeah. Yeah. There's some apartments in Montreal where they all kind of like look in on each other and there's like a little kind of courtyard and everyone's balconies kind of face each other. Paris too has a lot. That's true. Yeah. Um, so the little dog, which they lower down from their apartment in a little basket, uh, they, he's digging in the garden and the salesman, salesman finds it and he shoes it away. The detective tells Jeffries that his, that the wife left the apartment at 6am the day before she got on a train going out of town. Jeffries is like, nobody saw her on the train. Go search the apartment, which obviously he can't do cause it's legal. And he also says that he, the detective says that he found a postcard from the wife of the salesman saying that she arrived okay at whatever her destination was. But the theory that Jeffries has is that the woman was not his wife, but instead his like girlfriend, side chick, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who 
he's I guess killed his wife in order to be with her. Well, yeah, because and when he, when Jeffrey is in the middle of the night is looking across the street, he sees the salesman leave, mm-hmm. he comes back, and he comes back with a woman. So we see another woman. But but Jeffries doesn't see that, right? Yeah, that's what's yeah. really interesting. Oh, yeah. He's sleeping. You're yeah. Right. And so yeah, we see it. So that makes us skeptical about the whole murder yes. thing, you know. That makes yeah, us that's think a really that good Jeffries is move. like just a little bored and paranoid. I, I don't remember what I thought the first time I saw this film. Like, did I think that he had done it or not? I feel like I saw Disturbia before I saw this film. <laughs> Which is like kind of a remake, uh, sort of. I feel like I was expecting him to have done it but there are moments in this where you're kind of doubting yourself you're doubting him you're not sure it's true it, it, like it, it keeps his theory keeps getting debunked yeah yeah and then something else happens where all of a sudden wait a sec he's on the right track yeah and the detective it, it sustains itself very well the detective is really kind of like dismissive of his ideas and he's like yeah i'll look into it i guess but like I think, you're probably wrong i think i was very certain that the salesman did do something shady because if he didn't, then it's a story about um, James Stewart going crazy, which it doesn't, or like losing his mind and being bored, which doesn't sound like a Hitchcock film. Mm. Because it's Hitchcock, I assume that there was a murder. So, yeah, you know there, would, I mean? there wouldn't have been as much drama if there was no no murder. No, it's yeah. true. But at the same time, like that is kind of what it's about. Like it is about him being like, I'm so bored. I'm watching these people. I'm making up these stories for them. Yeah. And I'm like, is it real or is it not? I don't know. I'm Well, if bored. it wasn't him being murdered, it would have been something else twisted and weird. Potentially, you know yeah. What I mean? Yeah, true. Well, they then... So this is kind of a step back, but then he sees uh, the salesman going through a woman's purse, taking out all kinds of jewelry. He makes a long-distance call. How did he know it was a long-distance call? Is there like a particular way that you dial a rotary no phone? Idea. In those days when it was like, Chelsea, 48... Yeah, and all this stuff. Like, I know you're not that old, but I'm curious. <laughs> Way before my time. <laughs> if you know this. I was wondering maybe if it was like like a specific number that you had to dial before you did a I long must have been, yeah. distance. Yeah, he seemed to be reading what was actually being yeah. dialed with his telephoto like, oh, lens. A long distance call. What? Yeah, I guess that's sketchy. Yeah, and he's like... Maybe I- he has an aunt who lives in like... <laughs> I don't know, London. Well, he he's like rifling through the bag with the jewelry and he looks like he's asking someone for advice, I guess. Okay, it is kind of sketchy. Yeah, okay. Uh, Lisa comes back over. The first thing he says to her is, what did you do to your hair? What did she do to her hair? She just had it in a bun. Oh. I don't think he liked her hair being back. <sighs> There's too many opinions about Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's super skeptical of the whole situation too. She's like, why didn't the wife take her handbag on the trip why was it filled with her jewelry a woman would just throw her jewelry loosey-goosey in a purse Mm -hmm. her favorite purse she knows fashion so she does she's like no woman would ever leave the house without makeup unless she was going to the hospital oh yeah no woman goes on a vacation without her jewelry yeah Um, uh, okay she basically declares that she's staying the night she's like i'll trade you my feminine intuition for a bed for the night um the detective comes back over they tell him their theory He's like, we found the trunk that you were so worried about. There were clothes in there. It was addressed and shipped to this woman. Y'all need to chill. He leaves. Well, but he didn't open it. We uh, never found out what no, was they in said, there. They said there were clothes packed oh, in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of just at this point, like all the things are pointing to it being that she left town and he shipped her stuff. But their theory is that, yeah, that did happen, but it was a different woman. Mm-hmm. So... He still could have killed his mm-hmm. wife. 
While they're spying, they see Miss Lonely Hearts bring a guy home, and he forces himself on her, and she kicks him out. And then, then he doesn't call the police or anything, but then Jeffries is like, hmm, maybe it's not ethical <laughs> to be watching people like this. Right, because while we're watching the whole thing unravel with the salesman, we're also getting a lot of snippets from other people's lives. Like, there are beats, like, full beats that we sit and watch other people do things in their everyday life. Yeah. Like, for example, Mrs. Torso, who's, like, this dancer, and she brings a party of three men to party with, I guess. <clears throat> and Or, like, and the musician is, like, frantically trying to finish the song. So, yeah. Yeah. Th those are all interesting subplots, and they couldn't exist mm. if the movie was structured any differently. I mean, the fact that these are all, we're witnessing all this through the windows, mm -hmm. from L.B. Jeffrey's perspective, through the windows across the courtyard, you, you couldn't really have those plot lines, those subplots any other way. Because if it was just told in a more straightforward, conventional approach, like, why are we cutting to, like, mm -hmm. you know... Miss Torso, why are we cutting to like Miss Lonely Hearts? Like, mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with the central story, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So, it, I think it's quite ingenious that way. It yeah. is smart. It kind of it really puts you in the voyeurism yeah. position that LB Jeffries is. It really makes you sit and watch. And I was, I was genuinely surprised by how interested I was in this film. Yeah. It was like, I think any movie before the like early 2000s, I'm like, <laughs> boring. <laughs> Such a millennial. I know. I'm sorry. I'm uh, not sorry. <laughs> But, but did you not sort of feel like it was like watching TV? And I mean, this is the era when TV was, you know, had really taken off. Yeah. Oh, like switching channels. Switching channels. Yeah. You know? I want to, one thing that's interesting that Lisa says when he's like, okay, maybe it's not ethical is she's like, yeah, it's, it is kind of messed up that we're like sad to know that this woman is actually okay. She's like, she calls them like ghouls or something. Um, Wait, why are they sad that she's alive and well? Because they're disappointed that it wasn't a murder. They were very excited by their theory. They yeah. wanted to be proven right. Oh, oh, not Mrs. Not Mrs. Lonely Hearts. No, the no. salesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So she pulls the blinds down. And she's like, "All right, this is over." She puts on her nightie. She's modeling for him, and then they hear a scream. <laughs> um, the weird couple is outside. The their dog is dead. It's been strangled. It was so sad. I screamed. It, <laughs> oh, the it, it, neck it was sad. broken. Yeah. yeah. Like, why they always gotta kill the dog? <laughs> Only one person doesn't come out while she's yelling, saying, like, how could you kill this little helpless dog? And it's the salesman, of course. And, of course, we get an amazing shot of just darkness and the tip of his cigarette. Yes. I ooh. love those shots. That's, that was, that's spooky. Ooh, yeah. My yeah. hair is real. It was great. That was great. Um, I also really like that Lisa was like, why did he want to kill the dog? Because it knew too much. <laughs> that's a Hitchcock reference, too, right? The man who knew too much. The oh, dog, right. The dog yeah, the dog who knew too much. <laughs> yep. It didn't even click. And, and in case anyone says, wait a sec, the man who knew too much with Jimmy Stewart came out after Rear Window, it's actually a remake of another Hitchcock movie of the same title from the 1930s that he made in England. Oh, yeah. I guess oh, I, I did know that, but I didn't. 1934. I didn't know that. Wow, you have so much information about Hitchcock. This is great. So the next day, the salesman's cleaning the bathroom. Uh, Jeffrey says he thinks he knows what happened. There's something buried in the garden. And that's where the dog was digging. Uh, Lisa says she's going to go dig in there, but Jeff says no. He writes a note that says, what have you done with her? And gets Lisa to slip it into the salesman's apartment. Um, the salesman tries to see who left the note. He's like visibly stressed out. He's packing to leave. Jeffrey's has this theory that one of the rings in the purse that he was rifling through was a wedding ring. And... Uh, Lisa's womanly intuition tells her that no woman would leave without her wedding ring to go on a trip. Jeff calls the salesman. He's getting very bold at this point. Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. 
He calls the salesman. He asks if he got his note. He tells them to meet him at the bar at the Albert Hotel. Oh, Jeff's getting bold, but Lisa's getting even bolder. She's like Indiana Jones, like yeah. climbing balconies and stuff. Yeah, she goes down to dig in the garden with Stella, the nurse, and they don't find anything. So then Lisa climbs the fire escape in her high heels and goes into... And her skirt that's like ankle. That was awesome. I like that part. Me too. <laughs> I would never do that. So graceful. So yeah. graceful. Her name's Grace. Can I just say mm-hmm. while I remember this that uh, my mother would have been 17 when this movie came out and she told me, like mm-hmm. she loves this movie, mm-hmm. she told me that her and her friends went to see the movie with the express purpose of seeing what Grace Kelly was wearing. Wow. That was their motivation. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> oh my God. I loved all of her outfits in this film. Her dresses were incredible. I don't, is, I don't know who did. I don't know. No, she was Edith perfect. Head was like the big uh, costume person right. at that time. I'm not 100% sure she did this movie. But I thought we she did all of his movie. Yeah, quite likely. But I, I can't say that for sure. But I wouldn't be surprised. She was perfect, though. She looked amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's worth it going to see it just for what she wears. I, get I it. wish she had more outfits. She only had like three or four. Mm-hmm. But because uh, it only takes place over really a few days. So while this is all happening, Miss Lonely Heart is about to take a bunch of pills but then the music of the neighbor the musician guy like changes her mind well he finally completed a song i think oh i didn't even clue into that and, and he's a bit of a sad character too yeah like, he looks he seems frustrated artistically he, yeah. he has a party and he seems very alone mm-hmm. within yeah. the, his own party at his house so it's uh it's it's a heartwarming story the way these two characters end up coming Definitely. Together. He has Definitely. a nice apartment, though. He does have a nice All apartment. All windows. Glass. Yeah. And Hitchcock makes his uh, appearance there at the beginning of the movie. Yes, he does. Fixing the clock. clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Um, so the salesman comes home while all this is happening, and he finds Lisa in his apartment. He grabs her. He tries to attack her. She's yelling for Jeff just as the police arrived. Um, they question Lisa. She gets arrested. But she signals to Jeff that she has the wedding ring. But the salesman sees this. Yeah, she like wiggles her finger. That's kind of a gasp moment where you see Raymond Burr look look at her indicating behind her back with the finger, and then he looks up to to, that was the scariest Stewart. That was the scariest moment in my opinion. Yeah, it was. I wish um, they made the salesman a bit eviler. So it was even scarier. Yeah, but if he was overtly evil, then you wouldn't have this sort of back and forth. Like, he does kind of just look like a regular dude. But he's big. Yeah. (laughs) He is. You know, the the fact when he, when we notice that he he notices Grace Kelly's like signal to the ring, the lens that we're using to see that is so long and we get such a close look to Mm -hmm. that, it is very scary. The way that he lensed it to, have that effect yeah that was really smart. I, I have to uh tap my uh friends in the office of american cinematographer to see if they covered that movie back in the day because american cinematographer just celebrated its 100th anniversary but mm-hmm. uh yeah that i would love to know what lenses were used all oh throughout this i movie. tried to find it Me too. I couldn't find it's it not available for free i think there's some article that exists but it's not mm-hmm. readily available maybe you have, I have an in have the hookups yeah Ooh, i'd love to read that yeah because it's and Robert Burks, he's the cinematographer. Yes. What, what an excellent job. I, I just want to say, when you, when you describe the beginning of the film where, where all the characters are set up and the situation is set up, most of that is conveyed in one shot. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it pans across the courtyard and then it pulls in mm-hmm. to the room where L.B. Jeffries is. It's just so cinematic. Like mm-hmm. how much information in this movie is told uh, through movement and through looks. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the camera movements are so well thought out and just True. the... Yeah. 
the this movie could be truly awful if it yeah. was done badly. Like if you were to describe it to someone, it sounds quite boring, but it's so not boring. It's like very visually interesting Hitch- and dynamic. to and- experiment with these kind of ideas. Um, do you know the movie called Rope that he did in yes, 1948? Yeah, all in one take, right? So well, yeah, it's... it's uh, what? No, well, it's it's eight takes <laughs> it's not of ten minutes each. Yeah. So they would they would it's all set in one room. It's based on a play. It's about a murder um, based on the Loeb and Leopold murder from the 1920s, where these two very brainy university students commit a murder only to show that they could do it and mm-hmm. get away with it. Mm-hmm. And they put the body uh, in a in a kind of a, a cabinet. And then they, they serve like a dinner party on top of this cabinet with the body inside. All their friends come over and their teacher, played by Jimmy Stewart. And uh, it's, it's told they would run the, the film magazine for 10 minutes. So it would be 10 minutes uninterrupted, no cuts. And so the movie was assembled from, I think, eight 10-minute cuts. So he really loved this kind of restriction. Lifeboat. Mm-hmm. The whole movie's on a lifeboat. That's... I mean, it's, it's very clever how he manages to get, you know, an hour and 40 minutes in, in that kind of restricted setting. That, he those, loved the challenge. Those are like my favorite things, though. Mm-hmm. When there's some sort of constraint, I don't know, it's, it's like, I think it's such a good way to bring out creativity. It's more, in, it's more interesting to, to me to see what people come up with within like confines like that than to just have the world at your disposal and see what people come up with. Up the with. fix. What? VFX. What about VFX? <laughs> just like, just like point the camera at two people and then replace everything. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what you shoot anymore. Uh, yeah. You can just like... We talked a little bit about that like in our last episode when we were talking about Carrie with horror movies. The, the Brian De Palma version? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's so boring when people do that, when they just point a camera and there's a green screen and there's then a you CG fit, monster. Yeah. It's, it's always so much more interesting to see like what people do on set and in the camera. And there's so much of that going on here. Oh, yeah. Um, where were we? <laughs> so we're at the climax, basically. The oh yeah. So the salesman comes to Jeff's apartment. He asks him what he wants from him. He's like, your friend could have turned me in, but she didn't. What is it that you want? Jeffries uses his flash to temporarily blind him and kind of like buy time, I guess, for it, while he's approaching him. Why mm. you didn't like that? I mean, <laughs> he did it so many times. And before he did it, he would like. Okay, change the bulb, close my eyes, flash him. He did that five times, like, yeah. the fifth time. It worked, though. <laughs> just throw things at him. I don't know. <laughs> do something else. You, you really get the sense of how helpless James Stewart is at that moment. Like, so he's true. got very little at his disposal to fight this, he, he this does a, He does a good job at being a helpless Yeah, man, he's kind of yeah. like, oh, crap, I'm actually, like, confronted with this now. <laughs> what do I do? But uh, the, the salesman actually gets to him, and he hangs him out the window, and drops him but the police arrive they get him uh turns out he had buried her in the garden but he moved her body because the dog was too inquisitive it's later or parts of her anyway sure yeah <laughs> uh miss lonely hearts and the musician are together as we mentioned there's a new puppy miss torso's love guy is very short <laughs> yeah i love yeah, that he's so small he's so small she's like with whining and dining all these like handsome men in suits throughout the whole thing and then her like Boo comes back from the war and he's wearing like he's like five feet tall and kind of obviously dorky. she's a woman of integrity. Yeah, I liked that. Uh, and the newlyweds are arguing. Um, uh, that whole subplot I found hilarious. Like oh, they're yeah, just like you know the the blinds are down the whole time and yeah. he's coming out for air and she's like whatever his name What's is his calling name? him. Oh, I don't know I can't his remember. name. Oh, is it? No. 
But yes, at the, at the end. Because the way that she says his name, like, Thomas, come <laughs> oh, <back."> yeah. <laughs> but by the end, the honeymoon's over. Yeah. Jeffries has a double cast on now. Lisa's dressed <laughs> casually. She's reading a travel book. Um, casually, but perfectly. Exactly. Once uh, Jeff falls asleep, she pulls out a fashion magazine. And that's the end. So let's start with the relationship between Grace Kelly and Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart. It's funny. I One time I went to a, um, a bridal shower with uh for my friend and there were like women of all ages there and every woman over the age of 50 we played some game where you had to put your celebrity crush or something and every woman over the age of 50 wrote jimmy stewart what yeah was he a heartthrob he was hollywood's most eligible bachelor in the late 1940s he uh he he romanced a lot of uh starlets that's not i would not have guessed that you know he's an uh, he's my favorite actor um but i mean it's interesting because I, I could see where some people might have a hard time believing, oh, is he really this, like, rough-and-tumble guy who's, like, going all over the world? But, I mean, he was, I believe, the highest decorated American civilian in World War II. He was lieutenant colonel. No. He was a bomber pilot. I mean, he did a lot of uh, wow. heroic things. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it, but... Uh, no, I mean, I, I believe that he, like, he's a good actor, and, like, I'm sure he did a lot of things in his life that were great. I'm just mostly talking about, like, him as like a, as like a hunk, hunk, hunk yeah. handsome guy. I don't know. He's charming. I mean, he even when he like, I mean, the standards are so different these days. But when he took his shirt off too, I was like, <laughs> my god, he's like a scrawny like. He's very tall and skinny. Yeah. yeah, it it is kind of it's kind of difficult to pair him with like literally the god sent perfection that is Grace Kelly. Yeah, the most beautiful woman I've ever laid <laughs> eyes on. She's. In, like just perfect yeah you know i mean her real life might not have any bearing on it whatsoever but she certainly did have a thing for older men and and she had uh, a lot of her co-stars like clark gable gary cooper she had affairs with these guys they were much older apparently she did not have an affair with jimmy stewart jimmy stewart was married by that point oh, interesting. Uh, but he did say that he really felt sparks oh, gosh. flying between the two of them well their relationship is really interesting because she is it's acknowledged that she's perfect and he's still unhappy with their relationship and he wishes that she was different. And he's really condescending towards her. She's obviously very successful. She's good at her job. He does say at one point that she's clever. But that's mm. as, that's the only compliment he gives her in the whole film. Well, no, at the end, he's he's there saying, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Like he said, okay. you, were, you, were, you were, I don't know what the word he uses, you were amazing or whatever well, he, it was. He's proud of her for doing something that he wants. It's not like yeah. he's proud of her because he's she's this like successful businesswoman. Yeah, she, you know, she he's proud because now he fin- she finally fits in the mold that he wants in his mind. And yeah, because she's proven herself to be adventurous, which just, is what yeah, he exactly want, what what he was kind of like nervous about with having her come with him on trips and stuff. Which like I would be really disappointed if I saw a storyline like this in in right now. Yeah, I, I think though he's not—he's supposed to be kind of a, an ornery character, like not really representative. Like, and we get that through the Thelma Ritter character. She keeps saying, "Like, what is the matter with you?" Like, yeah. it's totally natural when two people love each other to get married. Yeah. You know, like what's what's your problem? So it seems to be more—he's he, a bit of a an oddball. It's character true. It's that acknowledged way. that it's like it's not her; it's him. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. yeah. I think like we feel we feel that. a lot of sympathy for her because she's so kind to him, and mm-hmm. he's like very dismissive sometimes yeah, like yeah one little remark is very could be very hurtful you know yeah he's quite mean yeah he he's not great to her but at the same time they do have like a f- kind of a fun dynamic they have like a lot of good back and forth she's 
She stands up to him a decent mm-hmm. amount. She has some good quips, you know. There's also a lot of like conversations while their mouths are attached to each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which just... was hard to watch. Well, but it seems like he's I not attracted it... to her, which is so strange. But like, but she's they're really also like trying to kiss him, and he's kind of like, no, about... let me look at this neighbor. And, and yeah. then they converse about their relationship while their, their mouths are yeah. interlocked. And for the 50s, that must have been a little scandalous. I think it was, it's a pretty racy movie for its time and a lot of the implication. So. And yeah. Oh, yeah. She when, stays the night. Like, mm-hmm. and she I, brings her carry-on. <laughs> which I loved. Her little suitcase, she opens it up and it's like overflowing with uh, like nighty. And slippers. And slippers. Of course. As someone who brings their slippers everywhere, I was like, <laughs> I approve. <laughs> but I thought... One thing that was interesting that I read about her, about Lisa as, like, the exhibitionist, sort of, and Jeffries as, like, he's, like, a voyeur by trade. He's a photographer. He watches people, um, and he obviously is watching people throughout the course of this film, but, like, they're they're kind of at odds in that way, that she's, like, a person who's going out and, like, is the socialite and does modeling and... Oh, I Loves see what you mean. There's an exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he... They're just so kind of at odds with each other in that way, in addition to, like, all the other ways. Um, yeah, but there's also so many, like, couples that are, like, oh, a photographer and a fashion designer. That's true. It's like, <laughs> But he doesn't want to take those kind of pictures. Yeah, right. Right, of course. I mean, he he's sort of like the substitute for Hitchcock, too. I mean, Hitchcock looks at people's lives through lenses. That's true. You know, and, and we become we become like LB Jeffries. Like we're watching the movie completely like through his point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Every shot except for like three or four takes place. It's, is the view from his apartment. Like it's some sort of POV. Uh huh. The maybe, maybe it's time to talk about the set because none of this is filmed outdoors. Like in yeah. situ, it's all like, it's a set that they built. Everything is, a, which is what I think I wrote down. It was, it was filmed at Paramount Studios. It was one of the largest sets, indoor sets that had been built mm-hmm. at the time. And they built it with the lighting to be controlled and a drainage drainage system because there is a scene where it fully rains. Whoa. So, yeah. Yeah. They I had didn't to. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Which, and there were birds inside. There's like there cat. are birds on the There's roof. Dog. Like they really. Oh, yeah. There were chickens. Weren't they? I don't know. But on the, on the roof, yeah, there yeah, were definitely yeah. birds. There was like, it really, when I was watching it, because of the lighting, I was like, this must be a set. But then I was like, wait, is it? Because the everything else feels so natural. Well, how could it not have been a set? Like, I know, I know. but it, it It's looked, an amazing set. Yeah. Um, it's like... Uh, the lighting system... I wrote it down one second. It was like, oh, there are 1,000 arc lights on the top uh-huh. to simulate daylight. Everything fully controllable so they could change the daytime. Wow. The, it was... It must have been so hot in there first of all <laughs> yeah. but also like incredible to walk into that i want to see what what it looks behind i yeah. want to see what it looked like yeah. behind i don't know if there's any i guess that would probably be we'll, an american we'll, cinematographer. we'll talk to american cinematographer yeah. about that one the sound mm-hmm. such care to the diegetic sound which is almost all we hear i don't think there's any soundtrack like added is there, is there i don't think there i don't is. remember yeah, you know that that's an excellent point and I, w- I was paying attention to the film for that reason it by the way it was nominated for best sound recording mm-hmm. as well as for hitchcock it got like eight nominations or something four oh. screenplay and cinematography so okay. those four. but um didn't win any of them right didn't win any um but yeah i was i was listening like 
is it all natural sound? Because, I mean, th- I'm sure this is why they created the, the musician character, because he's supplying yeah. the soundtrack right. for well, much of the movie. That's true. What I thought was really smart is, first of all, the musician's character ties in with Mrs. Lonely Heart's character, and his, the, that music com- is a combination with her storyline. So the music that we're hearing the whole time that's layering the film is also what saves her eventually and is a plot point. Yeah. So well done. The whole time we hear noise coming from the street, um, conversations kind of muffled happening from different places, the guy's music, there's an opera singer somewhere because you hear some opera music at some points and it, you can tell that it's in the scene, it's like diegetic because you get that kind of like echo that you would get from a courtyard mm-hmm. um there's that a little bird that's uh someone mm-hmm. has like one of the other ladies has um people are whistling sometimes or singing humming all of that is the soundtrack yeah. of the movie yeah and it is perfectly done to match the climax and the story points it's that is i think that might be the smartest most ingenious for me part of the film yeah i mean you might take that for granted i mean it's so totally. it's so organically oh, integrated completely. There was one part where I thought maybe they added some music because I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. The scene where she goes, I don't know if she's going to give the note or I, uh-huh, uh-huh. we see her like in the alley. Yeah. And there's this jazzy music going on. And I'm like, where is that coming from? That sounds like a whole jazz band. I thought band. maybe the, the musician was playing it. Maybe. There's like that restaurant across the street. Oh, yeah. From where that alleyway is. It was pretty is. loud though. Like, yeah. and, and he's like quite far from her. But anyway. But maybe because it's like a we cut to her on the street. It's like believable that we can hear what's behind her. I don't know, but that doesn't really make sense either. I have to rewatch that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The set is the, like it's super complicated obviously, but also it's really easy to understand the geography of it. Like it's laid out so perfectly that even the dumbest of viewers such as myself can kind of figure out where everything is and like know who's who based on, when we Geography. see them and where and yeah it's it's it almost felt like a wes anderson film you know how he always does these like little schematics and like points mm-hmm. of his like in um the hotel uh, uh, grand, grand budapest. budapest and in the one with the train <laughs> god the darjeeling <laughs> yes thank you yeah. like all in all those films he does these like compartmental yeah schematics for you to understand yeah. where things are and that's basically that's this, this entire film mm-hmm. also never see anything from a different perspective so you always get the one perspective the one kind of like straight on flat from jeffrey's view so it's really easily recognizable so it would never it wouldn't get confusing yeah that's true even though there's so many different storylines yeah you're you're always seeing it kind of from his point of view oh one thing that i thought was interesting and i thought of this when i was watching it it was like you know the concept of like a panopticon in like philosophy. I don't think I've ever heard that word before. Really? <laughs> okay. Whoa. <laughs> teach us. Um, teach us. So it's like this this prison layout where there's like a t- uh, a tower in the Got middle. Yep. Yeah. And you and all you can from the tower see all the prisoners around you, but the prisoners can't see each other and they can't see you. Mm-hmm. So this was like a disciplinary concept um, that started in prisons, and then this uh, philosopher, this British philosopher Jeremy Bentham, I wrote his name down. Mm-hmm kind of like said that he thought this would be like a good way to structure society sort of that like morals would people would have more like better morals and they'd be more 
reserved and like invigorated. If they and felt if like they was, were constantly watched. If everyone was being observed. And then like, I think Foucault, was it maybe? Who Someone was like, no, <laughs> this is bad. And they like had a whole, it's like a whole like There's a complex here in Toronto where they're trying to make it like that. Really? Um, and and it's they're acting like it's a whole new idea, but like you go to Paris and yeah. it's common. Yeah. That 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 people are facing each other. It's strange. I mean, it's like he does say at one point, like, "Well, they, well, I'm walking, watching these people like this, but like they could be watching me back." But there is this sense that like he is watching people. He can see them all. They don't really know he's there. There's no communication between the tenants, which is another like factor except of the when the lady with the dog when her dog, her dog, dog dies and she kind of has this little monologue and she's like how could you do this mm-hmm. like she and she questions people's morals actually in that speech she kind of goes off and like yeah. this isn't what neighbors are supposed to be none of you care about anything yeah. and she's saying like not, not, nobody says hello nobody cares about one another mm-hmm. so even though it has that kind of setup where people are watching each other uh it doesn't seem to have brought them together. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if this was some kind of like social commentary that the screenwriter was trying to make. Yeah, it's it's John Michael say. Hayes, by the way. Right. Mm. It's it's hard to say because it's like we don't know. We don't see any of the apartments on Jeffrey's side. That's true. There could be crazy stuff going on there, but he can't see it. Like he it, rear window, the sequel. Oh, <laughs> rear right. window, the other side. <laughs> Front window. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that doesn't have the same ring to it, it does it? Um, but yeah, it's like he, for all we know, he's the only one on this side and there's this whole row. And and we met, briefly mentioned TV, but like the first thing I thought of was like, oh, this is reality TV. And do we see a oh, TV yeah. in anybody's apartment? No. Like everyone would have had one. Yeah. But you... it's interesting that we don't, maybe there was a problem with registering the image, but they could have even had it like turned off. Just it's Yeah, no, there's, there's none of that. I, I guess that's sort of... If he doesn't have a TV, what else is he going to do? Because people might right, argue, right. well, wait a sec. Why isn't he watching TV? Why is he like being this weird spy? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. why doesn't he just like watch TV? So. Maybe it's because he's like never there because he's always traveling and stuff. I don't know. Doesn't that, seem like the TV guy. No. No, that's what I was going to say. I feel like his character is so like inquisitive and like such a, a little bit of a real, snob. yeah, a real man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Want to. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, I just like. This is what we do now. Like this is what we we watch people. Like you you mentioned that it was kind of like flipping channels, but to me this was like a reality show. Like literally that new show on on Netflix called The Circle. The concept is that they're all living in an apartment complex together, and the like establishing shots are like we see the building, and then we like cut into the various windows, and and there's a few shots where wide shots where we can see all the different contestants in there units right but they don't talk to each other they don't talk to each except other except uh, online it is kind of like a panopticon i guess this there. uh cornell woolrich who wrote the story on which the movie is based this seemed to be a theme that he lo- he loved in particular i know at least one other story he did like this that's very similar called the window mm-hmm. it was made into a movie in 1949 with bobby driscoll who would go on to be like a disney star um, and it's about a small boy who lives in an apartment who thinks he sees a murder across the way oh. <laughs> and, uh, then gets chased by the, uh, the murderer. So a recurring theme for this guy. Yeah. And I mean, this is also super relevant for now. Like people currently are obsessed with true crime. This is a huge time for true crime documentaries, true crime podcasts, like truly books, shows who yeah. can. Yeah. Nowadays, I feel like everyone is kind of like a, a, a Jeffries in that way where we're all like super interested in, in, in tune to these murder, horrible yeah. things that happen. And yeah, like you hear this gruesome story and you're kind of like, 
excited by it almost. I think Hitchcock brought that to mainstream cinema. I mean, I don't know any other movie of this vintage where they talk about the blood splattering. Mm -hmm. They're wiping down the walls for the blood. They're painting over it at the end. Um, and it's it's six years between this and Psycho. The, the difference being in Rear Window, we hear about the murder in the bathtub. In Psycho, we see the murder in the bathtub. Yes. We see the blood go down the drain. And Psycho just opened up everything in terms of horror movies. Like, and even then, no didn't, didn't Hitchcock say that he shot Psycho in black and white because he didn't think that he could get it made if it was in color because it was too bloody or something like that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we hear about all these gruesome things, but we don't see any. There's not a drop of blood in this film. But, mm -mm. but it's about dismemberment. Yeah. You know? I like that. Thelma <laughs> is Stella, a... Yeah. Sorry, yes. The Thelma Ritter's character, yeah. Stella, is a murderino. Yeah, she essentially. Is. <laughs> she is like so kind of... She has all these details. She knows all of this stuff. And then... She's mentioning all the gruesome details. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's funny. She's she's great. They all kind she of are, great. though. They're all kind of like, ooh. like Yeah, but she's the one who gets into the nitty gritty. She's the one who's like... This, these are going to be these are the logistics of murder yeah, yeah where everyone else is like and everyone's like how could you, you be a lady like, she always played this character the the tough no-nonsense new yorker right. i love it i love it yeah it, I, that's a character to me that ages really well yeah because she's kind of feisty and kind of like new yorkers have just always been yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. tells it like it is and yeah. you know when he's being sexist she's like Cut Shut up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spread some common sense on that sandwich. What a good line. But yeah, I feel like that is like a huge reason why this holds up is because that like curiosity about other people's lives and other people's murders is still so prevalent today, like maybe more than ever. They do. They battle a lot with the ethics of voyeurism, mm -hmm. which um, I, I was never, I never sat to think about that. I was like, to me, like, oh, no, this is good. Like, what he's doing is good. This is a good idea because he might solve a murder. He might help. Like, worst case scenario, he just uh, protects someone yeah. that didn't need protecting. Or, like, you know, but I, to me, there's no downside of what he was doing. Whereas a lot of people seem to, you know, kind of, especially the detective, is takes a lot of time from his day to make fun of him mm -hmm. or to dismantle his theories. Or it's like... Just investigate it. Literally, the worst thing that could happen is nothing. I guess, but well, he did. He did sort of represent a sort of ethical point of view too, because he's like, I can't like go into this guy's apartment yeah. without like a search warrant. Like, what are we basing this on? You know, right. like he 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 was following the letter of the law and respecting this guy's privacy because they don't they don't have anything solid against him except for LB's theories. Yeah, you can't just accuse people of murder willy nilly. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Do I? Uh, and also. <laughs> There is, like, I, I've read a few, like, pieces on this kind of about the male gaze being a thing mm -hmm. in this film. And, like, he what, does a lot of looking at women and judging them. Like, Miss Torso. My God. Poor, poor woman. She's just <laughs> trying to live her life and be a really terrible dancer. <laughs> no, but I did read about her that her, like, the actress, Hitchcock told her not to take dance classes because the idea is that she's an amateur dancer. Oh, really? That's yeah. fun. I wish I don't know why that had to be the case, but yeah, it was he does do so so much watching her and it is a little creepy oh it must have been super risque and like the first time we see her oh, yeah, she, she has her bra off, her off and we yep. see yeah. her back that yeah. must have been really like wild at the time but it would be kind of unbelievable if we didn't see any of that while he's watching all his neighbors it's the 50s who knows I, I think that's one reason why as you say the film age as well I mean I think the visuals um, 
the, the talk of blood and dismemberment. It doesn't shy mm-hmm. away from that. And, and the sexual repartee, I mean, mm-hmm. is, is yeah, the battle pretty of the rare. sexes. Yeah. yeah. That, that too, obviously. Yeah. yeah. There is some, oh, yeah, that's what you're saying. Sorry. There's some, some kind of weird, there, there's a lot of weird sexist stuff in this movie. There's I mean, it's from 1954. So obviously there is, but like, there's kind of this, the, the female intuition is mentioned like seven times. And it's presented as being like such a bother. Yeah, he uh, the the Wendell Corey character yeah. keeps debunking it. Like, I don't believe this feminine intuition. Yeah, he's stuff. like, I've wasted years <laughs> on listening to feminine intuition. In the scene where everyone's just warming brandy in their hands for like fifty <laughs> minutes, everyone's just doing this. Yeah, and they're like, that's an interesting bit of handwork there. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And that, did, is that how you're supposed to drink brandy? I think so. You get the like arrow. That movie taught me because now whenever I drink brandy, which is once in a while, I do that just because I saw it in the window. You learned. It's supposed to warm it up. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was. Yeah, I thought that was funny. He was eating such nasty-looking sandwiches. Like, what kind of sandwiches were those? They just had like brown, spammy. I don't know. Yeah, there's like brown <laughs> paste, some sort of questionable meat. Ugh. But pate de foie. Yeah. <laughs> probably something fancy like that that looks disgusting um there's also a really negative view of marriage in this film the well, from his all, perspective well thelma thelma brings it though because she said that you know her and her husband uh, they've been going at each other for years and they're happy every true. every moment of the way that's true but he's like jeffrey says if i get married then i'll never be able to go anywhere he says that like right from, but you right know they're the gonna bed. be together forever and I they're gonna have these guess, conflicts forever i guess but then First of all, all the couples in the film, the man is like gray haired and old and the woman is young and beautiful. Well, not the honeymooners. but That's oh, true. Right. They're the one exception. However, he looks at them so cynically as, as being in love. And then by the end of the film, they hate each other, too. Like yeah. they're the one kind of example of a couple that actually likes each other. <laughs> the wife of the salesman is seen as being like really naggy. And then she gets murdered. <laughs> For being a nag. Yeah. I, I don't think we're supposed to be sympathetic to her getting murdered. Well, he says at one point when he's watching them arguing that he doesn't want a nagging wife. And then she gets killed. I don't know. There's a lot of like looking down on Lisa for her career and her interests. Just to hide the fact that she reads fashion magazines by the end of the film. Yeah, well, the whole time she has to become what he wants and he's not going to change. End yeah. Of story. Yeah. She's gonna have to be more come more. Adventure. I don't think she's gonna change either, though. She's gonna pretend, so. but no. You know, I she hope when, so. when he's asleep, she puts the book on the Himalayas down. She picks up her bizarre magazine. I know, I know, but even that <laughs> is like her trying to fit in his world, yeah. as opposed to finding a happy medium or like equality. Yeah, yeah. It's not <laughs> of any sort. That's not happening here. There's a lot of like wives are nags. The you know the, the film. <laughs> It holds up very much technically, visually, just, you know, the things that he innovated and was like really smart about those things really, really work. Uh, The murder plot really works. The suspense really works. Even like a lot of things work, except I just the whole kind of like women are this, men are that. And they're always going to be battling. There's a healthy dash of like, oh, yeah, it's 1954 thrown in there every once in a while. But, but in a way, I mean, if they got together, if they were on the same page from the beginning, that would be kind of boring. It's you true. know, there'd be none of this like back and forth. I know, but, but there's, there's other know. ways. There to... could be a little bit of them meeting in the middle at the end, as opposed to like just her changing to be with him. 
yeah. seemingly that's all we see is like well, i think she shows that she possessed those kind of qualities that he didn't give her credit for because like like she's she's the one who does the daring stuff because he's like stuck in his room like she's that's out true. there risking her life even when she like puts the note under his desk i'm like is she crazy like yeah he's she, like five feet away from her she gets really bold yeah except we never acknowledge it and she's never um applauded for that He's well, there's the big payoff at the end where he's like, I'm so proud of you, you know, when he's like oh, right. about that's to like true, that's true. fall into unconsciousness. <laughs> um, when we were watching the salesman kind of assault her, yeah, um, Grace Kelly, and he was sitting in the room helpless, um, kind of just watching her just be like, oh no, what do I do? Yeah. I thought it was really weird that he didn't send, uh, what's her name? Stella, Stella. Yeah, like, yeah. why didn't they were both she, just sitting? Where was there. she at that moment? She was holding his shoulder. Yeah, she was there with oh, okay. her yeah. hand. I thought yeah. that was strange. Well, he already called the police. I think he was just kind of like they, they arrived just like seconds yeah, later. Yeah, the 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 scene of of Miss Lonely Hearts getting attacked by her date that was kind of unnecessary. That was definitely unnecessary, and also something that like. That's when you call the fucking police. Yeah, that's when he yeah. was just like, okay, let's pull the shades down and pretend. And, and Grace see. Kelly was there too. Um, yeah. Her character was present for that scene. And and I think that's also a point where they were kind of like, yeah, you're right. I think they should have been more proactive in doing something. Um, but it also kind of like made them like realize like we're looking at some really ugly yeah. things out that's there. That's the moment you know? when they decide it's not ethical. That's when you're like, no, wait a minute. This is, we've been watching, we've been doing the shitty unethical thing, whatever, but at least do something with yeah. it, yeah, you know? True. That's what I mean. And he, he could have broken his silence and just yelled, like, really loud yeah. to get everybody's attention. Yeah, anything. Know? He's like, oh, if it's not a murder, I'm not interested. <laughs> but, um, or even when she, when Mrs. Lonely Heart's about to take those pills. Oh, yeah, she's going to kill herself. She's literally like, going to commit suicide. What, now, wasn't he dialing? And then something else yes, happened. Because yes. she said, oh, my God, call the police or something. But then, like, he was going to do it. And then something else You're happened. You're right. He was going to call the police because she was about to kill herself. But then the whole interaction with the salesman and uh oh right you're right okay they're fine. just obsessed and with solving that murder yeah he, gets, yeah. he got <laughs> distracted all right he's not that bad and you know she heard the beautiful music and stopped anyway so it all worked out that was very disney um i read something i don't remember where i read it but jimmy stewart had said that he was surprised by kind of how his character turned out because there's so much editing and there's so much um kuleshov effect like oh right okay. there's so much where like we cut, what we think cut he to something gonna... And then we see Jimmy Stewart's reaction and like he obviously on set was not seeing what he actually is, what his character mm-hmm. is seeing. So they can kind of manipulate the footage of him in any way. That's like a Hitchcock classic thing to do. There's mm-hmm. like that video of him talking about the mm-hmm. the like man smiling when he sees a baby versus man smiling when he sees a woman in a bikini. Mm-hmm. Um, Different kind of smile. Same shot. So it must have been an interesting film to watch after the fact. For Jimmy Stewart. I wonder what, what he thought his character would come off Me like. Me too. Maybe he didn't realize how little he did. But to... it's all interwoven very well. Like all his like little reactions. Like 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 when he looks over at the honeymooners and he sees like like for the third day in a row or yeah. whatever, the, the blinds are down. He's just like... Mm, yeah, he has great know. reactions. <laughs> there, I was reading something about how he was directing the actors from across the, the hall, like across the street. He had, they had some sort of earpiece in and he could give them directions oh. from afar. And you know the scene when it's raining and the couple has to put the mattress in? Oh, yeah. Oh, I read this too, yeah. I read that he 
sneakily because it's him gave them different directions so he told the wife to go one way and the husband to go the other way so that created that kind of like chaotic like oh they're like not coordinating and he liked it so much because it worked out so well that they didn't have that to scene, that song. like shot is very funny for some reason i it's guess because very, it, works, it seems very so. genuine like these two people are very confused yeah yeah the editing is so crucial to this film and like it's so seamless. You never think about the fact that, like, yeah, we are just alternating between reaction shots of Jimmy Stewart and POV shots. Yeah, I never really thought about that's like him all because it I was is. like, oh no, Jimmy Stewart was right there because we just saw him. Yeah. but it probably was shot in like on a different day. Like everyone's yeah. like, but it's so seamless. Who said uh, acting is the art of reacting? Ooh, yeah. Not Hitchcock. He doesn't care. <laughs> Cattle. Yeah. Do you have any final? thoughts having rewatched this like this being a film that meant so much to you then and now like you obviously still love it and yeah i enjoyed watching it uh again um i think what drew me to it was just the concept like you say i mean it could have gone completely sideways Mm -hmm. you know it takes a lot of artistry to, to to pull off this this concept like this and you know it made a big deal when uh when it was re released in the 80s and uh De Palma, who you talked about mm-hmm. uh, on one of your other podcasts, did a movie called Body Double, which mm-hmm. was the same, mm-hmm. similar kind of concept. Um, and De Palma was criticized a lot for, not criticized, but like talked a lot about him kind of using Hitchcock's techniques. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like he did Blatantly. a movie called Obsession, which yeah. is just like Vertigo. Yeah, right. And uh, he, a big part of his career seems to be like, you know, In addressing the, his yeah. film heroes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's the humor, it's the performances. I mean, these are two great stars, you know, not to downplay Thelma Ritter because she's, she's fantastic. Mm. She's, Three she's great stars. a lot of the humor of the film is provided through her. Um, the visuals, the, the cinematic storytelling, I don't know. It, it's a movie about some dark things going on, but at the end you smile, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of a, just an, an enjoyable entertainment. It is, yeah. There's so many themes in Hitchcock films about, like, obsession and, like, weird psychological things that are, I guess, seen as, like, shameful or whatever. But there, there is, like, this nugget of something in it that still resonates today. Like, people are kind of more open now about their obsession with true crime or their <laughs> yeah. obsession with reality TV. Like, yeah. we watch, I mean, I don't, but people watch Big Brother, like... We do these I thought you were going to try to pretend that you don't watch The Bachelor. <laughs> no, I will never pretend that I can really, I will try to relate this to The Bachelor. Like, we wa- we put all these people in a house together on The Bachelor, and, like, mm-hmm. they do crazy stuff, and we just watch it and let it happen, and that's, like, what we delight in, and when nothing exciting happens, we're sad, which is what <laughs> happens to them, to Voyeurism Lisa. is now, it's, our whole society is based on voyeurism and, and people posting to tiktok or, or yeah. whatever it is you know like I, I think this movie was an early kind of expression of showing that we're a voyeuristic society stella says it at the beginning of the film she says we're a society of peeping toms damn stella and that's more true than ever now damn stella she just knows everything i know she's the best it, it's worth mentioning that um Sight and Sound magazine, which does their poll every 10 years, 750 mm-hmm. critics and directors. This movie was voted 53rd best movie of all time uh, by the critics, and I think number 48 by directors. So obviously, okay. here's a movie that's more than 65 years old, still has a lot of sway over uh, Holds up, people yeah. today. Yeah, it's like, I feel like Hitchcock is one director where his films just like straight up hold up. Mm-hmm. They, obviously, they're riddled with sexism and and. Every yeah, single, there's a lot of problems. Every single them. person in the films are white 
but it, you know it's like his films are just so incredibly well structured and interesting and and play into these like weird parts of the human psyche damn this made me this movie watching this movie made me so excited i haven't watched a hitchcock film in a while and like now i'm like i'm gonna go watch them all mm-hmm. we should get that package the five films that were yeah, released yeah. I'll, I'll watch all of them i mean i think i've seen all of those but yeah i mean he's one of those guys he's not like orson wells who broke out of the system and had to do things on his own and it yeah. was difficult to raise money and all that kind of thing like he worked within the system he did genre movies mm-hmm. but like he's all over them like they're just so much him mm-hmm. you know even though obviously he's working usually with with screenwriters and, and, and so many wife. collaborators <laughs> his wife's huge in, in the story uh like he like we we know what a hitchcock movie is yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and it's like generally always good in my opinion. Yeah. It's worth seeing for sure. Yeah, totally, totally. So I guess the consensus is that this holds up. Oh, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Except, you know, minus Have the... you seen Vertigo? Mm-mm. We gotta watch Vertigo. Okay. Uh, Vertigo is a movie that's so hyped up, it's kind of hard to watch it the first time and, 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 and appreciate what everyone says about it. Mm-hmm. I, but, I mean, it is... I think Vertigo takes Hitchcock's obsession up like a whole other notch. Like, it seems like a more personal movie. And here's a movie... You know, you could read so much into it, like where the Jimmy Stewart character is trying to completely redo this female character and get her to be exactly what his this former love of his was like. You yeah. know, it's very disturbing. Like it's almost like risable. You're watching, like, oh my god, did he? Is he really doing this? Is he really talking to her like this? Yeah. You know. But I think there's a lot, a lot of Hitchcock. This is like Hitchcock, like unleashed, basically. <laughs> I like that. It's really good. I think you would like North by Northwest as well. Yeah, Ooh, let's like do a, I don't know, we don't have time. We have to watch all these movies for the podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should only bring people who are cinema addicts. Maybe they'll bring films like that. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of like that we alternate. It's like no, one know, week I we're know. doing Rear Window, the next week we're doing The Hot Chick. <laughs> it's fun. We're keeping it fresh. Yeah, it's all good, man. Yeah. Oh. You don't have to be film, film snobs. No, no. And I, of course, I'm joking. I'm sure plenty of people or into Hitchcock. One thing we need to do to kind of wrap it up is to rate this film out of five. Five is the best. Five Mooshers is the best. Mooshers are cat and she is... This is our rating system. Yes, she is our rating system. So from one to five, what do you think? And and five being, of course, the five best. Five is the best. One is the I, worst. I have to give it a five as wow. one of my favorite movies okay. of all time. I don't know if we've got a five before. I think I gave Best in Show a five. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm going to give it... Not, not to say I don't see problems with it, but overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 4.5. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to give it a negative four. Negative 5 for... Or negative <laughs> 0.5 for the sexism, but it's fine. I'm going to give it a 4 because I was bothered one point okay. about that. So that's, that's a median 4.5. That's, that's pretty, pretty not darn too good. shabby. That's like one of our highest ones yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's Yeah, thank you for bringing all your knowledge. I wish we even had more time to like... For you to just go off on oh, all say, your Hitchcock yeah, facts. knowledge. I think I've exhausted my uh, <laughs> my rear window and Hitchcock knowledge. For well, now, for now, exactly. Um, What's um, going to be your next one? Our next film is Aaron Brockovich. Oh wow! Yeah, Steven Soderbergh. It's be pretty different from this, but our second Julia Roberts film. So and not our last. Not our last. What was the first one? <laughs> pretty Woman. Oh okay. Yeah. You know I've never seen Pretty Woman. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you're not missing that much. <laughs> You're missing the cultural references and... I feel I should see it for that reason. Yeah. It, it, it never called out. It just seemed like a very commercial and like it very is. questionable. It is. It's... Listen it's to all our episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to plug anything? Plug your podcast, your book? Uh, yeah. Tell us what you're up to. 
outside of the film world, yes, I, I wrote a book about the Beach Boys called 50 Sides of the Beach Boys. Uh, I do have some uh, viewpoints from film people like Cameron Crowe and Zoe Deschanel. They, they chime in Very on that cool. subject. Uh, and I co-run a podcast about the Beach Boys called uh, Surf's Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari, which you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, uh, Spotify. And other than that, yeah, look uh, look for me, an American cinematographer, uh, Bond, No Time to Die, April issue. Cool. Exciting. If you ever want to have someone on your podcast that knows the inverse of your Hitchcock knowledge is us about the Beach Boys, <laughs> meaning we know nothing. <laughs> if you ever want. Wow. That was, I was like, where is she going with this? Well, that, that would be great. It, it, like, I, I would have to give you guys like a playlist or something yeah. like that. And then it would be very interesting to hear what your if opinion you is. If you want to just like roast us for being millennials, <laughs> I'm always here for it. I will find any way to compare the Beach Boys to The Bachelor. <laughs> we'll wow. make it happen. Wow. If you could do that, that's quite I something. don't know how I could do that, but I just want to harmonize with my own self. If we can make that happen. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of what I wanted to write my book about was just to show how musicians today are so influenced by them. Yeah. And I couldn't get all the people that I wanted. Of course. I mean, I mean, you could point to Taylor Swift. You could point to Katy Perry. You could point to, uh, anyway, many. Yeah. Yeah. But you I got think Bruno some, Mars even. You got some big names though. You I did. Cameron I mean, Crow. most of them are from the 60s. Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. Oh, she's huge. She's yeah. huge. Another one that I, I should have gotten, and she did plug my book after the fact, was uh-huh. um, Screenwriter of Juno. Oh, uh, Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody. Huge fan. In fact, I think she met her husband on a Beach Boys chat forum. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. I, I, I had tried to... Wild. I had reached out to her, and I never heard anything. Yeah. And then we sent her a copy of the book, and she tweeted about the book. Oh, so. that's nice. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. I know we did Juno on the podcast. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, it's all coming around. I know. Everything full is full circle. Well, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank, thank you so for much. having me. My pleasure. Truly delightful. Very interesting. I learned so much today. I know. It was fun. Yeah. And we're going to watch more Hitchcock now. Thank to you. Thanks and to I you. will learn how to say his name properly. <laughs> Maybe. I'm Now I'm messing it up. So <laughs> You figured it out by the end, I think. Yeah, you <laughs> did. Or you just avoided saying it. We didn't notice. Him. Also, is it true that you got your kids a green screen one time for Christmas? Yes. That is so cool. That's like the coolest dad move ever. It's not been used if you, much. If they don't want it, have we it? will take it. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I don't even know where it is. But we have yeah. some things we want to do with our cat. <laughs> <laughs> or like me falling out of a window. Just like in rear window. Oh, That's right. That was an interesting show. Yeah, those are... I, if you do find the American cinematographer like art original article, that I, I want to know how they did that. I hope they covered it. I, you would think they would have, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll send a note when I get back. Some home. early VFX matinee demands this. Yeah, uh, this um, article. <laughs> okay, well, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave comments and like call Julia and tell her how great you thought it was. Don't call me. You can text me. <laughs> call her call at six one nine. No, six one nine. I don't know. I forget. <laughs> Where Isn't that we? Kingston? I no, that's six. Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. We'll uh, we'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.